We didn't even have a database. All the friend connections on Yak was a JSON file stored on a server. (laughs) One of the kind of golden rules that I live by is that the more features that you give a customer, the more opportunity they have to have issues with those features, either bugs or really just opinions, right? It's hard to have an opinion about a feature that doesn't exist. It's very easy to have an opinion about a feature that does exist and feel like it doesn't work well or doesn't satisfy some requirement of yours. But if you just don't have the feature altogether, there's less to complain about. This is Justin Mitchell. I'm the CEO and founder of Yak. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labpart, and today, how Justin Mitchell built a way for remote workers to have high bandwidth comms without all the meetings. All this and more on Code Story. Justin Mitchell started off wanting to be an actor, dreaming of going off to work for Disney or doing movies. He loved being on the stage, playing sports, and overall being the center of attention. He loves video games, reading, and generally, he loves to make things. He's married with two foster boys and is expecting a new addition soon. And a lot of the stuff he is building on the side centers around his family. For example, he's creating a solution to incentivize his kids to be human beings, put on deodorant, clean their room, etc. By rewarding them with redeemable tokens, allowing them to cash them in for toys, screen time, or other things. To top it off, the solution he is building is such that it's designed to be a kit for parents and kids to build the system as a bonding exercise. And as a dad, I think this is absolutely brilliant. He noticed over the years of working remote that the accepted culture of getting stuff done was to have meetings all day. He and his team started thinking about how to increase the amount of communication that happened during the day without increasing the number of meetings. This is the creation story of Yak. Yak at its core is voice messaging for teams. We do a lot more than that, but, but that's where the product started and that's where we try and keep the core focus. We noticed over the years of working remote that meetings became this accepted thing that everyone thought was normal. Eight hours of meetings a day was how you got work done. We kind of looked at that and thought, why are people doing meetings? And we thought, okay, well, it's out of fear that, you know, we're not all on the same page or that there's information that I know that he doesn't know. What we started doing was thinking about how we could increase the amount of communication that you had, you know, during your day uh, without meetings. And what that meant is we needed a way to communicate high bandwidth, which voice is high bandwidth. You can get a lot across on voice. We needed to have it async and async means, you know, not at the exact same time. Like we are speaking at the exact same time right now. We all had to carve out time to do this podcast, but async means that it's one sided. I can speak and you can be busy and that's not a problem. The product started as much as a piece of software as it is really just kind of a way of working. We wanted to encourage teams to speak more often throughout the day in a way that carried tone and emotion and also just, you know, more information in general, but also in a way that didn't interrupt their teammates and monopolize their time and rely on calendars and schedules. 
you know, that's where the product started. And now today you can, you can send videos, you can do your daily standup in Yak, you can do screen shares with our desktop app. You can even post public shares on the internet or in an email for people who aren't even on Yak yet. It's a great way to share voice messages with someone that hasn't, you know, signed up for the service. And so there's lots of different things that, you know, the, the tool is enabling, but at its core, it's voice messaging for teams. Let's dive into the MVP then. So tell me about the MVP and how long it took to build and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. The very first version of Yak was actually developed over like a four day weekend on Thanksgiving break. We built it as part of the product on Hackathon. It was a Electron app built with a React front end. And actually we designed all the CSS and Webflow. So our designers went into Webflow, designed everything out, exported out the HTML CSS, and then a developer took that and kind of like plopped it into an Electron app. We were using at the time, actually the very first version of Yak was actually synchronous. It was real time, it was walkie talkie style. And so the first version was built off of TalkBox, which is now owned by Vonage, which is, you know, the same kind of stuff that like things like Clubhouse run on. You know, Clubhouse runs on Agora. It's a stack that you pay on a per minute pricing for voice and video connectivity. And we did the same thing for Yak at the very beginning. But we built this thing in about four days. It was very scrappy. We didn't even have a database. Uh, we actually, all the friend connections on Yak was a JSON file stored on a server. <laughs> and instead of having like unique usernames, uh, every time you went to go add somebody, it generated like a random six digit code. And that's what you would use to share your Yak code to somebody so that they could add you as a connection on Yak. It was very scrappy, you know, surprisingly stable, I think, because really Really, there wasn't a lot of server-side stuff happening. It was really just the friending mechanism, that JSON file, and then everything else was offloaded to TalkBox. So there wasn't a whole lot of stuff even happening on our end. So it ran very well. You know, didn't really ever go down. But it was it was slapped together for sure. It, uh, we learned a lot in four days on even just how to compile an Electron app. You know, TalkBox is one of the de facto's. But what led you to choose that as opposed to something else? You know, I'd used it years ago and I was just familiar with the feature set that it offered. And, you know, when I build things, a lot of times, you know, my superpower really from an agency perspective, because, you know, remember, Yak was actually built from our agency, so friendly. So, you know, we approach a lot of stuff from an agency perspective, even if it's first party. And one of the things that, you know, we've done really well is we take kind of like the business driver and we marry that to the technical solution. And so a lot of times I'm looking at like, what do I need to accomplish and how am I going to accomplish that? And that how kind of has like a snowball effect of how am I going to accomplish it in a way that's cost effective, in a way that scales, you know, in a way that's easy and simple and isn't messy, right? So there's all these kind of like sub bullets there, but that how typically equals a framework, a code base, a language, a platform, an API, right? Whatever those things are, right? When you come to me for some app that I'm going to build for you and you say you need payment, you know, we have to go through the thought process of like, is this Apple Pay? Is it Stripe with Apple Pay? Is it Braintree? Is it PayPal? You know, is it any of these different payment SDKs and why and which one are we going to pick? And why did we even pick that one? So a lot of times when we're thinking through like what a feature set is, we're typically thinking like, okay, how are we going to accomplish this? And I'm going to purposely try and pick things that aren't going to either be expensive to implement, expensive to run, or we know won't scale, you know, once the product gets to a certain level. 
you know, that's kind of the criteria that we use to choose where we, you know, place what platforms in what applications and how we pick them. And, uh, you know, for us, it was like zero to some, right? Like, how do we get to anything very quickly on a very tight budget and timeline and Talkbox, you know, kind of satisfy those requirements? I think they had like a free tier that was like 9,000 minutes a month or something like that. And I knew that for the MVP, we would never hit that. So I was like, great. We don't even have to pay for the service. This is awesome. Well, my next question you kind of already touched on with the Talkbox instance, but let's let's dig into a few more. So what what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term when you're building your MVP as like feature cut or technical debt? And how did you cope with those decisions? I mean, one of the biggest ones that I think is really easy to point out is we didn't launch with Windows support. And it's funny because like Electron default allows you to have a Windows app, but it's surprisingly more work than you would think. You know, one small thing just to consider is just signing it digitally with a secured certificate saying, hey, Microsoft, we're not malware. And that costs money and you have to buy a certificate and you have to have like a signing process. And it's unnecessarily complicated. But we just said, you know what, we're not going to touch it. One of the things that I typically will do for my team, but also just in general, is simplify. You know, you ask, hey, what features did you have to cut or, you know, what you know things did you have to pare down? That's literally the entire process for me. Everything is a process of simplification. Okay, so this feature is going to take X amount of time. Now I make a decision if we even need the feature to begin with, right? So it starts with, do we even need it? If we don't, if it's not an absolute diehard must have, just get rid of the feature. There, we just saved all that time. If we have to have it, okay, let's find a way to pare it down, figure out how to make it easier, simpler. You know, is there a better way to do it? Is there a service provider we can offload it to? And I'm constantly doing this with a lot of stuff. So like, we didn't even have Windows at launch. And that was just because, hey, we knew that the kind of target audience that we were going for, probably were using Mac computers. So let's just do Mac and call it a day. And that's the only thing that we'll offer. If Windows ever becomes popular, we know that we have built it from the beginning with a stack that is capable of doing it on Windows, right? So I built with a scale in mind of putting it on Windows, but I didn't launch Windows at first, only because I wanted to make sure that we could make Mac a really good experience. And there was all kinds of other stuff that we didn't have at launch. We didn't have screen sharing at the very beginning, even though we knew TalkBox enabled screen sharing. Uh, We didn't have recording of past yaks, even though we knew that TalkBox enabled recording. So there's all these things that we knew was possible that we just didn't put into the app because we didn't want to focus on that. And a lot of the focus is typically on nailing that UX the first time. So we, especially at So Friendly, you know, there was a huge focus on how can we make this thing an amazing experience with the most minimum amount of features possible. One of the kind of golden rules that I live by is that the more features that you give a customer, the more opportunity they have to have issues with those features, either bugs or really just opinions, right? It's hard to have an opinion about a feature that doesn't exist. It's very easy to have an opinion about a feature that does exist and feel like it doesn't work well or doesn't satisfy some requirement of yours. But if you just don't have the feature altogether, there's less to complain about. Um, And so we typically go into a lot of our projects with that in mind, like what's the tightest version of this that we can release? So, okay, so you got your MVP, you've got the trade-offs kind of nailed down. You you work through that process. I get that. That's kind of your your core roles to do the paring down. 
how did you progress the product from that point and mature it? And I'm interested in roadmap and how you picked, you know, how you decided this is the next most important thing to build. We used the product ourselves every day as a team. Uh, we used it for about three months. We had added screen sharing, you know, improved you know, server capacity, made it a little bit faster, you know, prevented crashing and some bugs. So obviously we're just like maintaining it. And we added like screen sharing, which was a flagship feature. Uh, but overall we were just keeping it alive. And uh, we realized internally it was just so freaking annoying. What would happen is I would be on like a call with a client and Jordan's voice would come blaring out of my speakers. And I'd be like, oh crap, I didn't put myself on do not disturb or I didn't kill the app or I didn't tell them in advance I'd be on a call. And they'd be asking me some question and I'd be like, oh, shush, 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 I'm in the middle of something. And I started to realize that even when I wasn't on a call, I'd be like heads down focused on something. And one of my designers would just like peek out of my speakers. I was like, whoa, where's this coming from? This is totally interrupting my workflow. I was in the middle of focusing on something and now I'm sidetracked. And so about three months in, we just made this decision that like synchronous real-time walkie-talkie style communication was just really frustrating. It was kind of hard to use. It was interruptive. We didn't all work on this like magically synced up schedule. Sometimes I wasn't even awake yet. And what would end up happening is that somebody would send me a yak through the synchronous version of the product and I just wasn't at my desk. And so, you know, that yak ended up being, Justin, are you there? Hello, are you there? Okay, I guess you're not there. Right. It's because I walked away or I wasn't online yet or whatever, you know, that might have been. And so we realized that, like, we were spending a lot of energy just like checking to see if someone was online first before we'd even talk to them. And it was it was annoying. So we made this decision at that moment to just pivot the product entirely to async. And that's kind of where like this magical moment was unlocked, where we said, okay, well, with async, it means that every message I send is purposeful. I don't have to check to see if you're there or in front of your computer or busy or available yet. I just get to say what I was going to say. And then I just peace out and I go back to whatever I was doing. And if you're available, I'm sure you'll respond, you know, rather quickly. But if you're not, you can get to it, you know, whenever you're available. And that respect for each other's time and focus totally unlocked like this new version of the product. And here's where I get to kind of maybe the divisive piece is we just rewrote the entire product from scratch. We've actually rewritten our product four times. We're on the fourth iteration of Yak from a clean, fresh start code base. You know, it's clean, man. It's a clean code base. It means that we have less bugs to deal with. It means that all the learnings that we've had over the last two years, we get to take all of those and put them into the product instead of continually tacking on these like um, extra features that weren't meant to be part of the code base to begin with. Things that felt like we kind of shoehorned them into, you know, a code base that wasn't necessarily receptive to them. And so now we get to start fresh and clean with a team that started from the very beginning and gets to own the entire code base. That's something that I think a lot of startups don't or are afraid to do is that they're afraid of like throwing out their work because it feels like they've lost something. But on the contrary, it just means this like kind of like opportunity at a nice refresh. And you do it with this very like purposeful mindset. And 
because of the fact that we already have all the learnings that we've had, not only at a technical level, but also from a customer level, we're actually able to build a brand new version of the product so much faster than the first one and the second one and the third one. By the time we get to the fourth, we're compounding you know, interest here and it's lightning fast to get something new up and running and it's more stable, it's easier to add on to, we can build it in a more module way, the new version is going to be completely serverless, so there's all these benefits there. So you know, that's really something that I think a lot of companies are afraid to do that I think is super necessary when you get to a certain stage. So let's switch to team. Then so so how did you go about building your team and and you know what what I'm looking for is you know what did you look for in those people to indicate they were the winning horses to join you? I actually wrote a whole guide on this on Almanac. So if anyone's interested, there is a like how to hire remote guide on Almanac's website. You know I I have a very specific way that I've done this. One of those things is I hire off Reddit. I have found some of the best talent on Reddit and Twitter. I don't go to job sites. I don't hire off monster.com. You know, I, I have a very specific, I guess, set of requirements that I'm looking for. And typically none of them have to do with your ability to code or design or manage or whatever that role is. A lot of it's communication. I firmly believe that communication cannot be taught, but code design can be. Um, communication is something you're either good at or you're bad at. And uh, you either need to go away and work on it, or you're just naturally very good at it, or you've, you know, you've worked on it, and now you're good at it. Communications make it or break it in a remote team. Uh, Darren Murph, who's an advisor at Yak, who's the head of remote at GitLab, he told me something the other day that I thought was really cool. So he was talking about this idea of like remote fluency. Just like when you hire someone for a position at a Starbucks, if they speak multiple languages, they will probably get, you know, more job offers, maybe higher pay. And they put that on their resume. They say they're multilingual, right? And remote fluency is the same exact concept as being kind of multilingual. If you know and understand how to work remote, you are inherently more valuable to a company that works remote. Therefore, that's one of the main things that I'm looking for is can this person communicate in a remote work environment or are they so used to the confines of an office that they're uncomfortable, they're uncertain, and they're not having that initiative, that extra step to actually go out and over communicate because we are in a remote environment. And so communication is one of the first things that I look for in talent. Um, I typically will reach out on a social site like Reddit or Twitter. And that kind of first interaction is really the first test. That's the first interview is, will you communicate quickly with me? Do you get back to me fast? Do I understand what you're saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Is there rapport, right? That first interaction is super, super important. Past that, we will typically do some sort of like trial period. It's always paid. We never, ever, ever ask for like demo work or any type of work on their part without being paid. But we'll do some kind of trial period, maybe like one month as a contractor or a couple weeks of like a specific sprint or project. See how that relationship works out. See kind of what their working style is, what their communication style is once they get into the job. And then we'll make an offer based off of kind of that experience. But I've had really, really great experience finding people on Reddit. I post in the for hire subreddit. It's really just like bare bones, cut clean. I say, here's what I'm looking for. This is kind of like the budget that we're shooting for. Shoot me a DM. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll transition that DM into a yak and we'll just go back and forth async voice messages. They can do screen shares on desktop, um, kind of like talk over their project, show me their GitHub, um, you know, show me what they've been working on. 
what their role in said project was and what they're particularly proud of. And that's a really great way for me to get a feel for kind of who this person is. I typically will ask a lot of questions having nothing to do with skill and having to do with just personality. In fact, I was uh, talking to someone today about a development job. And the question that I asked is, what do you prefer to work on, front end or back end, right? It's not which one are you good at, which one are you better at? I just asked like, what do you like better? And that helps me understand where I can fit them in because I don't want to put somebody in a position that they're not enjoying, even if it's something that they're good at. If that's not the thing that they want to be doing, I don't want to put them in that position. And so a lot of questions that I'm asking are, you know, how do you like to work? When do you like to wake up? How often, you know, do you want to work? Do you want to just be part time? Do you want to be full time? Like we're very flexible around that. And that's because we want to build a culture around kind of you enjoying your job here. Um, and that applies to every position, whether it's coding or design or management. Um, you know, a lot of those leading questions have nothing to do with their skill set and really a lot to do with their personality. You answered this a bit earlier as far as your approach, but I want to dig into it a little more. So talk to me about scalability. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or, or were you fighting this as you grew? You know, I would say nearly everything I do is from a scale perspective, really all-encompassing technology, tech stack servers, as well as just the idea itself even. I'm always thinking about, you know, is there scale to this? You know, one of the pieces of feedback that we got early on from investors was, oh, you guys are just a feature. You're a feature of WhatsApp. You're a feature of iMessage. You know, we took that feedback and inherently thought, okay, well, they don't think that this can scale. So now how do we make it scale, right? So we started thinking about features and systems and platforms and, and you know, maybe a third-party API, we could offer voice messaging as a service to other platforms. How, does, how do we scale the idea itself? I guess to answer your original question, were we thinking of scaling at the beginning? No. When we came out with this from the Product Hunt Hackathon, we were 100% doing this as a viral you know, marketing stunt to get more people into our funnel for our agency. I had no plans on turning this into a standalone product, no plans on doing anything other than just like saying, hey, look at us, we know how to build product, please hire us. I just released yesterday on Twitter, we, we built a product called uh, OTP, which O-H-T-I-P-I.com. It copies two-factor authentication codes to your clipboard from iMessage because I use Chrome and it doesn't automatically fill two-factor authentication codes, but Safari does and I don't use Safari. So this saves me a bunch of time during my day and it took us like, I don't know, five hours to build it. So it was like super worth it just for my own productivity. That product has no scale to it, right? Like that's all it'll really ever do. I have some ideas on how someone else could take it to the next level. Um, and that's why we open sourced it so that other people can play with it. Um, but that's it. That was the end of it. I'll probably never touch the product again. Uh, we have another product called Backtrack that records audio that you forgot to record. Um, hasn't seen an update in like two years. It just works. It's a thing. It sits out there. It's, you know, functional and productive and people find a lot of value in it. And it just sits there and it exists. So no, there's no scale there. And so we're typically looking at like, is this scalable? And is it not? And if it's not, it doesn't mean that we don't build it. It just means that we have this incredibly tight, finite structure for it. We say, this is all we're doing with it. And then we're done with it and we're not going to touch it again. And that's because I don't like wasting time on things that um, aren't scalable. Um, you know, luckily with Yak, 
um, we got such a large amount of traction at the beginning that we were able to raise a small pre-seed round and just rewrite the entire thing from scratch in a very scalable way. But the idea itself was scalable, you know, proven by, you know, a Series A fundraise that we just did. So we know that the idea is, is scalable. <laughs> the technology at the time probably was not. I mean, it was slapped together over four days, but there was no intention of scaling it at the time. It was kind of a one and done. This is probably one of those rare instances where we took something that was not meant to scale and scaled it, but also people gave us a bunch of money to do that. So it was warranted. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you've built, what are you most proud of? You know, I'm very, very proud of our team. Um, I have always had this kind of like spirit of helping others. And so I'm super happy to see that I've employed this many people, that they're leveling up, that they're getting better at their jobs, that they're enjoying their jobs, that we have fun every day. We're enjoying each other's company and we're making stuff that makes us smile. And so for me, I'm just really proud of us as a team for doing something that we love and you know, doing it together. A lot of our team has been together for a long time. Uh, you know, I've known my co-founder Hunter for like seven plus years now. He was the first intern that I hired at my first startup. And he brought his college roommate into our company and that's the other co-founder. And my two designers were our first two hires at my agency. So, you know, we've all been together for a long time. And so I'm just happy that we've found a way to stay together and, you know, um, maintain that friendship and work relationship that we have. And, you know, we get to do something that we love. You know, the second thing that I'll say that I'm most proud of is we're actively changing the way people are working. You know, our goal is to cut down on the number of meetings during your day, give you more time back in your day for you to spend with your family, spend on side projects that you want to do for fun, um, playing video games, watching movies, eating lunch with your wife, whatever that might be. And we've seen it. We've seen companies that have come to us and say, I get to take Friday off now. We just take Fridays off at our company now because we're so much more efficient because Yak has saved us so much time the KPI that, you know, investors have been asking, you know, us to talk to them about for years. And, you know, they want to know, is it monthly active users? Is it daily active? Is it messages sent? Is it messages played? And we go, it's Friday's taken off. It's a hard thing to measure, but uh, our goal is to give people more time back in their day and we're accomplishing it. And that's really exciting. I, I like hearing from teams that are saying like, my mental health is improving. I'm, I'm less fatigued and, and that's exciting for us. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Yeah, ooh, that's a, there's a lot of mistakes. You know, I, I think of mistakes as learning opportunities. You know, I would say early on when we were raising our pre-seed, you know, probably our biggest mistake was taking too much dilution at the beginning from a VC perspective. But I looked at $100,000 and went, holy crap, I had never seen that much money before. You know, uh, that'd be great. I would love $100,000 for my company. Then we had a third investor who offered us the same amount of money. And I was like, absolutely. It's, it's I might as well get the money now. No one's going to offer it to me later. And then my two co-founders said, uh, dude, we're going to take way too much dilution if you take that extra 100K check. And I said, it's fine. Like, we don't need to raise again. We'll just build a profitable company that people will pay us for. And we don't need the money. And uh, I'm going to get it now because I don't think I'll be able to get it later. You know, we're popular right now. We might not be, you know, <laughs> in a year. And uh, 
we got all the paperwork signed and uh, it was up to me to sign the final thing. And I, I just had this moment of like, damn, the guys are right. We should not take this money. And I had to call the guy and say, I know that you just went through like all the due diligence, all the emails, all the paperwork, but I can't sign this. It wouldn't be smart to take the money. And that guy was pissed, <laughs> understandably. He was really pissed. But it was it was a mistake on my end of like thinking that. I think it was a little bit of imposter syndrome on my part to think we won't be able to get this money in the future. And so I was like afraid. And that fear drove me to making a pretty poor decision financially and and also just kind of like from a company CEO perspective. And I was, I was glad to have my co-founders there to kind of check me to say, you know, it, it's not smart to take this money right now. And it, it really, really, really paid off in the end. We would have been in a much worse position had I signed that paperwork. And hey, that's why you have co-founders. So what's the future look like for your product and for your team? Future for us is changing the phone call. We think that voice is the way to communicate. It's rich in tone and emotion. It's relationship building, entire bandwidth. There's so many things that voice solves, but for some reason, the world decided that voice could only be done in real time and, and now apparently alongside a video call. And so for us, we're just thinking about like, what's a phone call look like in the future, especially as you as you think about a global workforce. You know, we, we talk about inclusivity a lot at, at Yak and how Yak enables that. And a lot of people may not understand that. But for us, it's a pretty big mission around involving everyone that your company hires. And a big part of that is including people in a different time zone or honestly, just in a different life path. You know, you and I were talking before we started the recording just about having kids and you know, that changes your life. You have to leave at 3 p.m. to pick them up from school. Uh, you have to wake up in the morning early to get them to school. I have a wife who likes to get lunch with me. That means that just during the day, I can't just be in meetings all day long because I need to stop randomly to do something for my family. You know, the developer who's overseas or the designer who wants to just like travel the world nomad style, they can't be expected to be at that meeting at 2 a.m. in the morning. And so Yak is enabling that person to still be involved in a conversation, even if they're not actively, you know, logging into a Zoom call at that time. And so for us, we're really thinking about what does a company look like when they go fully global or they give up this concept of a nine to five, you know, remote enabled us to work from anywhere. But then for some reason, the world decided that you still had to work all at the same time. And that's not realistic when you live in a completely different hemisphere. You know, the future for us is is a little bit of education of saying, hey, company A, you cannot ask your developer to wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning. And likewise, you can't just do the stand up call without him because then you would be leaving him out. So you need to shift your habits to an asynchronous workflow. We think that needs to be voice overwritten so that you get that tone and emotion bandwidth as well as relationship building aspects. Um, and here's where Yak kind of comes into play. And so we're thinking about how that affects all of life. It needs to be an inclusive and respectful way to communicate, and that needs to be asynchronous voice. And so that's really our mission moving forward. On the team side, you know, we're hiring for a lot of growth roles, a lot of marketing roles, um, customer success, account management, things like that. You know, we've we've done a really great job with the engineering, design, and product 
to date. And now we're kind of shifting focus on the execution part as far as kind of like growing the user base, actually, you know, assigning account reps to our larger accounts to make make them successful and ensure that they know how to use the product best. And so that's really kind of on the team side how we're growing things. Let's switch to you, Justin. Who influences the way that you work? A CEO, a CTO, architect, really any person. Name a person you look up to and why. I'd say back in the day, I was I was really looking at Steve Jobs because he, he had a, a hard and fast opinion on a lot of things and just planted his feet and said, this is the way that a product should be designed and it might be different than every other product out there, but I'm going to make sure that you get so used to my way of doing it that you can't even imagine doing it another way. You know, I, I work a lot like that and I've always respected that gusto and confidence. In terms of like remote work, I, I really love all the guys at Basecamp, big fan of Jason Fried, uh, read a lot of his books and a lot of Yak is actually based on a lot of his teachings. Uh, we talk about uh, having a calm workplace, an it can wait mentality. And a lot of those things are built into Yak, uh, kind of as a uh, process as software, right? You know, it is an app, it is a platform. At the end of the day, it's a SaaS pro uh, product. But really what I was trying to do was take a lot of those things that um, rework, it doesn't have to be crazy at work and remote. Uh, Jason's books have talked about and kind of, you know, build them into a software suite. And so I, I really look up to him a lot and I, I feel like he's cracked the code on a different way of working. And I respect someone who goes against the grain a little bit and says, you guys are crazy over there working nine to five, you know, sweaty hours all into the night. I'm enjoying my my life over here. Come come to the dark side where things are calm and relaxing. I know you don't think that it's possible. Trust us, it can be. And, and I like that candor and the kind of like uh, no holds bar uh, kind of approach that he has. So we talked about mistakes, but perhaps a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? That's a tough question to answer. I would have to say as a rule of thumb, I typically don't operate that way. I, uh, I really don't like looking into the past and trying to figure out what I would have done differently uh, because I, like I said kind of earlier in this podcast, I, I firmly believe that every mistake I make is just a opportunity for learning. So, you know, we, we typically take our mistakes with stride and really just kind of you know innovate on top of them figure out why that mistake happened and <laughs> sure it doesn't happen again i personally one thing that i i need to work on is chaos um i, I react very quickly to industry changes and user feedback and I would love for, as I move forward as a CEO or quasi-CTO as I, as I am today, to be a little bit less reactive to things and a little bit more proactive um, so that I'm not uh, plunging my developers into feature chaos quite as often. Well, last question, Justin. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Be loud and proud. You know, I think the one thing that we've done very well is 
just be very obnoxious about the fact that we're building this and we're very excited to be building this. You know, we're from, I'm at least from a small farm town in Florida. I'm not on Sand Hill Road in California. I don't have VC connections. I didn't graduate from Stanford and I never worked at Stripe or Dropbox. I didn't have kind of the opportunities placed in front of me to just instantly raise capital at ludicrous, you know, valuations. We got lucky, to be honest, we're very blessed, but that luck came out of just constantly banging that drum. We were very proud of what we were building. We were talking about it constantly. Other people were talking about us. And, you know, that came in the form of writing somebody else's marketing tales as well. Um, you know, the reason why we're here today is because Product Hunt put us on blast and said, hey, check this out. And what that meant is I got access to their mailing list and their followers and their Facebook and their Twitter and their website traffic and their medium you know, followers because they talked about us. And I didn't have that audience to market to. I, I don't have those follower numbers. I don't have that email list, but they did it for us because we played nice with them. So, you know, the other piece that I kind of put alongside loud and proud is be a nice person. <laughs> uh, a lot of times, you know, Jordan and I will talk about this concept of doing the unscalable thing. And I think a lot of our story, our genesis comes from this idea of doing the unscalable thing, um, helping out with other startups when they need it, not asking for anything in return. No, 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 don't pay us. You know, we're just glad to help. Retweeting other people's stuff for them so that when we need something retweeted, they're more than happy to do it. Um, sharing other people's content, you know, so that when we need something shared, they'll share it. You know, one of the simplest things that I do, and this is not bragging, it's, I guess, just generic advice is like I hunt other people's products on Product Hunt for free just because I want to help them. And I, I know the, the system very well. And I have like a form on my website that they can submit to. It's very simple. Um, they can submit everything and they'll audit the stuff for them all for free. And part of the reason that I do that is when we need something, you know, upvoted on Product Hunt, I have this army of people that kind of feel like they owe me one and they're more than happy to upvote our stuff. You know, that's not the reason why we do all these things. We do it because we like being nice to people. But what ended up kind of serendipitously happening is that people just ended up liking us. And when we needed help, they were happy to do it. And so for that scrappy new entrepreneur, you know, who maybe doesn't have all the connections in the world, I would say, you know, probably three things. Be proud of what you're building and talk about it a lot. Um, there's this new build in public movement that's kind of sweeping Twitter, and I think it's huge. I think that's what every you know scrappy new entrepreneur should be doing. Two, be nice and helpful to other people, engage in communities, put the effort into networking and being involved in other people's products and helping them wherever you can, because they will return in kind when you need that. And that that's that's huge for a, a small startup. And the third thing that I would say, and this is just pure CEO advice. There's a lot of money out there. <laughs> uh, it's it's easier to get VC backing than a lot of people realize. If I could do it, having never done it before, anybody can. The money is there. You just need to convince someone that you're the right person to build this product at the right time. You can get the funding. And so a lot of people, I think, don't believe that they can, um, especially if they come from a similar background of not being connected. And I would just challenge that and say, if I can do it, anybody can. That's great advice. All three pieces. Well, Justin, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Yak. Yeah, absolutely. I always love uh, telling people where we came from. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. 
Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.